0: Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. Hallelujah. We want to welcome you to Cornerstone Church. Hallelujah. Ephesians 6. That's where we're going to start. We're actually going to read a bunch of scripture, but I'm going to end up right here in Ephesians chapter 6 for the most part. Uh, Grab Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 to start with. I heard a statement the other day I was listening, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm not going to beat us up, but man, it's so easy with the rain hitting the building, want to lay in bed and just coast and sleep. But I'm just telling you, the day's at hand. We can't afford to, to pull the throttle back. Um, I mean... We have got such a long ways to go because we can't even get people to stand up for 20 minutes. I'm not beating us up, but we got a long ways to go. Hello. If Obama, which is an earthly king, walked in this room, you would be commanded to stand until you were told to sit down. People giving their life on, the, I'm not beating us up, I'm just trying to help us as an American church but people giving their life on the mission field, and we can't stand for 30 minutes in an air-conditioned room. And yet we say we're hungry for God. Well, I'm going to preach on something good, not beat us up. But I was listening to a minister the other day, and I sent it out because it's true. Before David killed Goliath and before he came a king, he slayed two animals. He slayed a lion and he slayed a bear. Lions travel in what? Prides. That's the first thing we got to slay is pride. The second thing he slayed was a bear. A bear spends half of his life asleep. When we can slay apathy and pride, we'll advance the kingdom for God. Father, I pray this morning, I thank you for your great love for me and your great love for these people. I'm asking this morning that you anoint anointment afresh and help me preach the gospel. Now let's look in Matthew chapter 10. Now remember, uh, next Sunday night, um, <clears throat> Next Sunday night, we're going to have a service here at 6 o'clock. Pastor Bo Turner, Real Life Church in Macon, Georgia, will be here to preach the gospel. Um, I said this on Wednesday night. If you've ever heard me preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and when I talk about the Holy Spirit and fire and stuff, I was in his church, uh, I guess, uh, when I was 18 years old in uh, 1998. Uh, uh, I was sitting about halfway on a Wednesday night service when a lady come from the back and grabbed me. I just received, accepted the call to preach. I think I'd spoke maybe twice, was so nervous, knocked knee, stumbled through it, told my mother I was done with preaching, uh, that I, I just couldn't do it. And, uh, went on the Wednesday night service. A lady grabbed me by my arm and, uh, said, would I go to the front? I was nervous. Uh, at our church, we didn't, we didn't take people down to the front, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I went down to the front. Uh, his associate pastor was preaching for him at the time. He grabbed a microphone, jumped off the stage. And uh, prophesied over me. And the first thing he said was, from this day forward, was the second thing he said. But he said, from this day forward, you shall preach the word of God with fire, for I'll baptize you in fire. And the Lord just slung me across the floor. Can't describe that. All I can tell you is like a mule hit me. And I was in fluent tongues uh, whenever I hit the ground. And so uh, that encounter happened uh, at his church. I felt like for the past two months that um, um, I should uh, call him. And, um, and I prayed about it. Um, because I, I just prayed about it. I was like, Lord, is this you or whatever? I have not heard him preach in eight or nine years. Uh, he can preach. I can tell you that. He is a fireball preaching machine believes in city transformation got a strong evangelistic call upon his life just uh, um, just I mean just a pastor that's an evangelist got the fastest growing church in middle Georgia and so uh, he'll be here next Sunday night at six o'clock so uh, we'll have several guests coming in too I've done had several people to call me and tell me that they're going to be here so uh, we want to do that uh, we'll start it at six o'clock also Wednesday night uh, Wednesday night offering we're going to take up um, uh, where we uh, uh, I w- had the privilege to sit with the sheriff uh, this week by coming to get some of you. now I'm playing. But sat down with the sheriff and, uh, um, and, so, uh, and then the chief of police and the fire department, we're going to feed all of those uh, men. Uh, even the volunteers uh, next uh, Friday, just as a thank you gift for them serving our community. I believe that'll open up a door. Uh, Romans 13 says that the civil authorities or whatever ministers unto him. And so uh, I told the sheriff that and also asked for the top three needs uh, uh, over our community uh, that we need breakthrough in that they would ask us, I asked him to write that down and give that to me uh, and that we would pray over it. And I said, we will see a change in, in six months. Uh, How many believe that? God answer our prayer. And so I just want a kind of a checklist that we can check off uh, in prayer or whatever. And so uh, I'm excited uh, about that. And so next Wednesday night, if you want to buy a plate, the plates are $8. Also, uh, if you want to buy a plate for your family, this would be a good... uh, This would be a good way to feed your family on Friday night, $8 uh, for a big pork chop. How many likes pork chops? Raise your hand. If you don't, we'll pray for you. There's something wrong with you. I really like them fried, but I'll take them grilled uh, like a fry with rice and tomatoes as a peas on the side. How many feel that? You ain't felt the Lord all morning, but we feel him on that. How many of that? Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right, you there? In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to probably do a wrap up. I may do... The final thing on this Wednesday night, I may give uh, like a few keys on uh, warfare, but we've been teaching on prayer, okay? We've been teaching on prayer for the last, uh, I think this is my fourth message going into this. We're going to title it The Prayer Warrior. And uh, you in Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 16, when you got saved, the preacher told you this, if you'll come to the altar, everything's going to be all right. How many knows that's not true? (laughs) When you got saved, there's a lot happened at that moment, okay? First of all, you transferred out of death into what life and you also got uh, you also got drafted into the army and we're all called to what? War. So said, well preacher, I don't want to go listen, I'm leading us to the battlefield. Hello. Listen, an apostolic church will always be headed to the battlefield. All right. Catherine, you shout me down, okay, because I'm going to need a lot of encouragement, okay? So listen to this. Matthew chapter 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Listen here. The wolves are not only outside the building. They go to church with us. Hello? Hello? I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as servants and harmless as doves. Listen, Jesus is calling his he's calling his apostles in, his, his disciples in, and he's telling them the environment in which they were going to have to live the life. You and I are going to have to live the life of faith in a hostile environment. Every day is not going to be sherbet ice cream and easy. There's valleys and hills. I... There's storms and there's sunshine. Hello. I have found that the most nutrients is not on the mountaintop, but where? In the valley. (laughs) He is called the what? Lily of the valley. All right, let's go on right here. 2 Timothy, just trying to set this up. Got some good stuff in here, though, if we make it that far. Made me shout anyhow, but I'll shout at anything. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at this. This is Paul admonishing Timothy, the young pastor there at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, I'm in verse 1 of chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these these, uh, to the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now these are not the scriptures that I have posted on the refrigerator. You gotta endure hardship. Look at this. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no one engaged in warfare. Look at this. Now he's giving him wisdom on how to be a good soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with what? The affairs of this life. How many knows that this is very temporary that you and I live in? With, uh, with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops and consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now, I'm going to teach slash preach. I, oh, you know I'm going to holler. Though I can forewarn you. I'm going to holler because it's going to happen, okay? And so, But listen to this. Paul writes four letters in prison, in his first imprisonment in Rome. They're often called as the prison epistles. He writes uh, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and the letter to Philemon all in a Roman prison. Now, most theologians believe that the, most, the two most spiritual or the most in-depth books in the Bible is the book of St. John, which only includes really the last week of Jesus' life. And also, the reason why John's gospel, because John don't just necessarily tell the story, he puts the feeling and the heart of the Lord Jesus behind everything he writes. Remember when they were all around the table fussing which one was gone? He was the one leaning on the breast of Jesus to feel his heartbeat. Are you with me now? And and also uh, Ephesians. This is where Paul reveals the mystery of the bride, or the mystery of the of of the inheritance of the saints in Christ Jesus, in the book of Ephesians. Now. I'm just trying to lay some groundwork to where we're going. He in, in Ephesians, he gives really three stages of life. One of the most powerful dreams I've ever had in my life was really a vision of the night season. And I had Rick Joyner actually wrote uh, two study guides on the book of Ephesians. It's broke down in part one and part two. And I fell asleep, remember that, that with, uh, with that book of Ephesians in my hand and wasn't asleep 15 minutes and went into this vision. And uh, Catherine said when she walked in the room, that I was asleep but the glory of God was just just came all over when she went in the room. So but he writes three stages of life in the book of Ephesians. Number 1 the stage is he says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is a season in life really where where things are really going good. We're seated. We're in that Psalms 23 place. He maketh me lie down into the green pastures. How many's ever been in that season? Just the kids are behaving. I mean, the finances are coming in. There's not much of a struggle going on. And we're just seated and enjoying the blessings of God, enjoying the love of God. Just not I mean, everything just seemed easy in that season. Have you ever had seasons like when you pray and it seemed like boom, you wake up the next morning? God's answering prayer. I mean, it's just everything's moving smoothly. All right. The second season is, as he says, he admonishes us to walk worthy of the calling that is in Christ Jesus. So now there's a season where i got to get up and walk. What I have found, there are seasons in my life that God will not do nothing and the breakthrough will not come until I get up and do what I know to do. See, God... A lot of times, instead of answering the problem for us, God wants us to to begin to get up and move and start co-laboring with Him and let Him see the promise uh, uh, fulfilled. So there's a season in which I'm resting, but there's a season in which... uh, God has called me to walk and He's not going to bring the breakthrough needed until I begin to to walk and do the things which He's telling me to do. Now finally at the the end of Ephesians, He's in another stage of the journey. Now He writes, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And when you've done all you know to do, stand therefore. This is a season when all Hades is broke loose in your life. Anybody been in a season like that? Now, now listen to me. I'm trying to give you a lot of groundwork now. A lot of times we read the Bible and we think that this happened in one day. Paul was two years in prison in Rome writing four letters. He did not write Ephesus in one day. It took him months to chronicle this letter. Are you with me? Here's a scripture like in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and breaking bread. When you get Acts chapter 2 and when you drop into verse 42 even though I know verse 41 is there but verse 42 is really about two and a half years into the journey after Pentecost. They continued. It wasn't the next day they were continuing. It's two and a half years. And so Paul is writing months. Now first of all, let's say this. He starts out in prison and he's talking about we're seated in Christ. Now number one, he's not in the jail cell sitting down here. He's in in an inner prison. Now they had done broke out. Uh, I mean Peter had done got freed from prison. I mean some things had happened. Now he's in there and he's held by the elite soldiers of the Roman Empire. Now as he's in there, we know that Paul told Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God, right? That that I was listening to Damon Thompson, and, and one of the things he was saying is that is a very poor translation uh, in the English in the King James. It, the, the men were not inspired. Men were so gripped, he said in the original language it reads, they were so gripped, they were like a leaf thrown into a raging river. They were compelled, I mean forced to write and pin this down. So Paul is in the inner prison. There's no doubt that the struggle has become great in his life, and now he's fixing to teach us on how to pray when we're in a great season of warfare. Are you with me? And now check this out. He's in that prison. I believe that as as he's sitting in that prison, he's praying, seeking God. No doubt, deep discouragement has come in. And he's eyeing these Roman soldiers as they come in. Now each one of these Roman soldiers, the armor of God, is coming off of what he sees in the natural that is upon that Roman soldier and he looks at that Roman soldier and the spirit of God comes upon him and he, be- and he begins to compel him to write and to pin this down to the church at Ephesus. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. That means we don't stand in our own might, in our own goodness, or our own righteousness when I go to war. I stand in the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. I don't stand in my power, but his power. When you are weak, he is what? Strong. And so he said, he said, and when you've done all you know to do, stand. Stand therefore, having girded yourself with what? The spirit of truth. The belt was the first piece that went on the Roman soldier that held actually the breastplate of righteousness in and of that. When he says, stand therefore, having yourself girded with the spirit of truth. That word truth is not the truth of God's word. It's the truth of reality, what is real. Many Christians live with veneers. It ain't the real thing. God, help me, Jesus. The heat of the battle will always reveal the depth of the soldier, is in the word. He said, give me the real. See, this is what America and what our community is hungry for, the real. They don't need the veneer Christian that's all nice and cleaned up. They need the person with real problems, real issues, but yet have a real solution and a real God we serve. I I can't get to the armor yet. Listen to this. Uh, To stand means to take a firm defensive position. Many people have taken this text and I used to read taking this text that Paul is communicating in prayer that this is an advancement prayer. Actually, this is a defensive stance and this is a hang on to the storm goes through. Are you with me? The word stand means to to, to take a defensive position and remain steadfast. In combat, it's an, aggressively, it's an aggressive defensive posture taken by someone to ward off blows from the enemy who's trying to take their land. How many members, one of David's mighty men, Eleazar, uh, that he defended a whole field of barley by standing in the middle of it. This is the position that it means. It means we're coming under great attack, but I'm to stand and hold my ground. You with me? The stand also means to guard the ground that we've already taken so that the enemy does not make new inroads in our territory. If we take ground in the realm of the Spirit, someone has to stand guard over that ground in the realm of the Spirit. Listen, I know people say, well, once you've broken through, you've broken through. But listen here, if we don't keep the breakthrough, our children will have to break through the same ground we broke through. Hello? Hello? There's a scripture that says that in the Old Testament that the enemy came to stay, stop up the wells of, 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 of Abraham and Isaac. And just, so with each generation, what he does is desire to put back earth in there so that they have to redig the wells of the Father. But our job is once we break that ground is to keep that ground open. All right. To withstand means to endure or, press, or, preserve, or, or preserve through long-term, large-scale conflicts. And look at this. And notice what he said. Let's just read it. i got to read Ephesians chapter 6. i got to read it to you. And uh, you got to see it too right here. So let's just read this text right here. I've quoted most of it, but let's read it. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of God of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places now these are different ranks of principalities he's talking about this is not just one demon okay most of these never manifest in the earthly realm but the ones that manifest in the earthly realm are are under rank are being communicated through by these powers right here uh, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand for, uh, uh, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the blessed plate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith in which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Notice that Paul here is encouraging them to pray for him. Not so that he can be released from prison not to bind the demons that's got him in prison, but that boldness would come upon his life that he may boldly speak and proclaim the mysteries of the kingdom. Notice when Peter and John, when they healed the man at the gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 3, they were beaten in Acts chapter 4. They didn't bind the principalities over that city and community that were causing them, but they did ask this, God, would you grant your servants boldness that, that we may boldly speak and proclaim the word of God? Now, now, um, Paul is admonishing us. Listen here, I, I, I've got to teach this and really put this in us because I struggle with it. He's admonishing, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. A lot of times when the enemy comes to attack us, we automatically try to put a face on the spirit we're fighting. If we try to put a face on the spirit, I don't care if it's Jezebel flowing through a man or through a woman, if you put a face on it, we've already been defeated. He's at my, we're not fighting against each other. This is not flesh. It's not a blood war. It's not a flesh war that we're fighting. We're fighting something in the unseen realm. Your co-worker that is, that is getting in your way every day is not really your co-worker you're fighting. There's something in the unseen realm that is manipulating that person to act that kind of way. And Paul's saying, we don't wrestle against the co-worker. We wrestle against what is causing the co-worker to act that way. Hello. The battle is not the person. The battle is what is influencing the person. If we get into, listen, if we get into flesh and blood, let's say that there's a person bound with the spirit of Jezebel, and I know that they're bound with the spirit of Jezebel. First of all, if you really begin, most people in the church would not recognize the spirit of Jezebel. That's just the truth, I'm telling to you. Because Jezebel would look like the most spiritual one in the body of of believers. The Bible says she calls herself a prophetess. And most, what we call a Jezebel spirit, most people that I have seen, it is a very immature form of it. I have read in cases where there has been a mature form of it, mature form of it, and every man that has failed to that was dead within 12 months. Quiet right in the building. I got that from Francis Frangipan, who wrote The Three Battlegrounds, and also wrote about the spirit of Jezebel, and also from John Paul Jackson's. Uh, Spirit of Jezebel book. There were four men that encountered a mature form of it that was seduced by that spirit and fell. And all four of them died within 12 months to prostate cancer. Let's say that I know that a person is influenced by that. If I see the person, I will not have the ability to set them free. In other words, if I see the person as the enemy, because now I don't have love and compassion for the individual. Let's move right along, right here. So the battle is not with the flesh, the battle is in the unseen realm. We're also told by Paul to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one by deflecting them. Protecting ourselves with the shield of faith. We need to guard our minds against fear and unbelief. Unbelief is the ultimate sin. Are you with me? We got a church in America that's full of unbelieving believers. I pray the prayer all the time like the man that brought his son. Yes, I believe. But Lord, help my unbelief. God, help me to believe for the impossible. We got to guard our minds against unbelief and fear. Fear will actually, it, it puts the church in a sterile position. Remember when Paul told Timothy to stir up the gifts that are in you that have become dormant? Why were they dormant? If we read back in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, he says, For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. It, t- timidness will make us stand, it'll 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 just it'll just make us cower down instead of operating in what God called us. So we take the shield of faith. Now here's the deal. I got into this about four weeks ago on Wednesday night. There's two types of swords, uh, uh, the two types of sword. The word sword in Scripture both in Greek and Hebrew refers to one or two types of swords. The short sword, which is the length of the form, is used only in hand-to-hand combat. Is only in hand-to-hand combat. Throughout Scripture, swords used by humans are always the short sword. The use of the sword in scripture implies arming oneself with the word of God to cut through the enemy's thoughts and deceptions that operate through people. It also implies that the enemy is a short distance which is terrestrial warfare which is here on earth where I'm called to do battle. So when Paul says to stand and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God this is a short sword that is the length of the form. It also means that the enemy is now very close you with me. This does not mean that the enemy is hanging over my community. Now he's close. How many members of the Ninja Turtles? Raphael, the one with the little sword, that is the sword. It's a dagger-like thing. Actually, the dagger was two-sided. It would cut on both sides. And it had a hook like, how many of you have seen it? Hunters carry like a hook with a a knife that's got a hook on the end that's curved back to do the gutting with, to come down the gut line with. I know that's great before we eat, ain't it? And so, that's actually what this sword is. It is also mentioned in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing soul and spirit. How do I decide? How do I divide a spiritual problem from a soulless problem? With the sword of the spirit. See, a lot of times we think this sword is to go attack demons with. The sword is not really to go attack with, it is really to minister to ourselves. Prime the will, prime the will. Listen, a Roman soldier. When he was in battle, oftentimes what would penetrate sometimes there would be arrows or fragments of arrows that would get that would actually penetrate or come off of the shield of faith and it would enter into his own life. How do you remove a stronghold in your life? With the sword of the spirit. How do you remove fear in your life? With the sword. You take the sword and you go into the fear. Hello. And you take the sword and you go into the fear and say, For God hath not given me the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And as that truth penetrates your heart, that sword will go in and extract that arrowhead of unbelief and fear that has penetrated the shield of faith. Gosh, help me Jesus. When I become sick and I feel like I'm going to die, and fear comes in and the lie that, you know, the sickness is going to kill me, you take the sword of the Spirit and you stick it in and you say, By his stripes I have been healed. You stick it in and say, Matthew 8 and 17, he bore my sickness upon the cross. And you begin to extract that arrowhead of doubt out of your life. It also implies, listen, that man, The battle is on. I mean, it's on like Donkey Kong. I mean, it's getting rough. You know what I'm saying? And the enemy is is a short... And what it was meant to do is it was actually meant with the first blow is it would wound it. To remove him off. You follow what I'm saying? It would wound him the second blow when you hit him again. And then usually the third or fourth blow would actually kill the enemy off of it. But that, that dagger was not some mean force of an instrument that was used to take out a lot of people. Now, so what I'm talking about is a lot of people in prayer, and they say, well, God's given us a sword of spirit to go after this spirit of lust and the spirit of greed over this city. No, it's not a long sword. It's not to stick up in the heavens. It's for when that spirit of lust and greed now has come in a terrestrial realm and we're fighting it right here on our job. Are you with me? Now it's done jumped out of that realm and now it's manifested in my school, in the hallways of my school. So I'm here to do battle against that. I'm not here to battle the principal, I'm not here to battle the Board of Education. But I'm to battle what's influencing the principal. And the influence in the board of education. Hello. Now, the second type of sword is a long sword mentioned in Genesis three twenty four, and it's also in Revelation nineteen fifteen. When he comes back on the stallion, he's, Jesus went into Jerusalem on a donkey. When he returns, he's not coming on the little baby donkey. He's coming on a white stallion. Hello, you with me now? And when he comes back, he's going to have a, he's going to have a tattoo on his thigh, and a name which no one could name, but he himself. And he's going to be carrying a sword. This word sword is not the form sword. This is a body link sword called like a, a, a claymore sword. This is one that is, is wielded for long-distance fighting. Are you with me? In Scripture, this sword is only wielded by the Lord Jesus or a celestial being, which are angels. It is never wielded by a human being. It is always wielded by an angel. So what this means, this also means this is long-range battle. You and I are not called to long-range battle. We're called to short-range battle. Let me say it like this. How many? Is, I like to watch war movies or whatever, but how many knows this? When the foot soldiers get into the heat of battle, they can radio in to the airstrike unit, right? And the airstrike unit, like in Vietnam, would come and drop napalm or whatever, or we can call in airstrikes to actually move the enemy back. Come on, can y'all stay alive for the next 15 minutes? Just help me out right here, okay? Pinch your neighbor and say, wake up in Jesus' name, okay? I'm raising the dead every week around here. All right, so listen. (laughs) Someone said, will you believe in raising the dead? I absolutely do. We raise them every Sunday. Then get them back up the next Sunday. So here, listen, it is, it is, it is warfare. My, my call is to stand and do the war that I know to do. Are you with me now? And when the enemy starts coming in and breaking in on us, that's when I begin to call out to my father who's got the claymore sword. Are you with me now? And this is, I say, Father, I've done all about I know to do right here on this situation. I prayed, I've cut everything out of me and everything that I could get with with this dagger right here. Now I'm asking you, God, right now, if you would come in and you would wield your sword and you would begin to release that over my situation and what happens is then the then the angels of the Lord are dispatched to minister. How many knows that angels are ministering spirits sent along to help us? Yes, then God releases that sword and he begins to back the enemy up at a long range distance from off of our lives. My God that's good. All right. Ephesians 6 says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, which in Greek refer, which this is also this word sword, which is the Word of God, that word Word of God is not the Bible. Stay with me. When it says, and the the, that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that word word is not talking about to the logos written word of God that you hold in your hand. It's talking about the rhema word of God. The difference between logos and rhema, logos is what was said. Rama is what is being said. There's a difference in what was said. And what is being said. What was said is Abraham take Isaac up on the mountain and kill him. What is being said is Abraham was stole, withhold thy knife. You're not going to do it. But listen that was a whole picture. Isaac was his only son bearing wood up a mountain. That was a whole picture prophetic picture of Jesus taking a wooden cross up on a hill. But he was stayed the knife from Abraham and said don't kill him. But Jesus took the knife from his father. Hello. And so the difference is what was said and what is being said. So when you're in the heat of the battle, you don't nearly need to know what was said. You need to know what is being said. And what is being said has the ability, like a sword, to cut through your problem. Help me, Jesus. What was said is that a woman had issue of blood. What was being said is there was healing in his garments. And when she touched that, that sword went into her and cut that issue out of her life. Oh God help me. Malachi said that when the Messiah comes he will come with healing in his wings. If you read that in in Hebrew it says that there will be healing in the fringes. And so when she read that she knew that prophecy from Malachi and she said if he's really the son of God that's why I want his fringes because there will be healing in his wings. And when she touched that my God I feel the Holy Ghost she touched the rhema word of God right now and it dried that issue up in her life. When you and I take the sword of the Spirit, it's not what was said, it's what is being said now. And if I'm sick, what is being said now is in Isaiah, we was healed. In Peter, we were healed. Because of the cross, it's already done. What's being said, when, when I'm in the middle of the war, I don't need to know what was said last year. I need to know what God is saying now. That's why the centurion told Jesus you don't even have to come to my house. I'm a man under authority and I recognize authority when I say that this one come and to that, that one go. He said you don't have to come. Just release one word. One word from God will turn your whole situation around. Lord of mercy. I got to get in the gym before I'm preach like this. The word of God is sharp. It's alive. This book is living. The rhema word is not only prophecy. It's when you wake up in the morning at 5 o'clock and you get this book open in your lap and what you've read 400 times now starts walking. Listen. Listen, we don't know the Bible just by quoting it. You know the Bible when it becomes flesh and starts dwelling among you. John chapter one, verse 14. In the the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and it became flesh and dwelt among us. We need that book to get off the shelf and start becoming flesh in the streets and communities in America to change lives. When it starts becoming flesh, that means I'm not only reading it, I'm digesting it and living it Oh my Jesus. I feel the slack the sackcloth coming off the top of the building a little bit. Second Corinthians 10. Paul's writing again. Second Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. feel like Rocky. I just got some more juice coming back in for the second round. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, here he is again. We do not war according to the flesh. It's not flesh we're after. Look at your neighbor and say, It is not flesh that's causing you the problem. I know you said that that co-worker's a witch. She could be, but it's not her. It's not flesh. For for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Look at this. For the pulling down of strongholds, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, when I read that years ago, God has given me a right right now. Paul is admonishing me to pull the strongholds down. You got to get the strongholds down. If we want to, I mean, the way I used to interpret this, if we want to effectively minister in this community, we got to remove the strongholds. Off of this community before we can bring the word in here and the word be able to penetrate what is there and take an effect in their life. Peter said, we got to receive the engrafted word. You know what engraft when you graft something, that means what was on something else has now become part of you. And so I thought that Paul is it. My, I got to pull down strongholds. There's some strongholds over this community. And then after, if we get more in detail, he's not talking about the strongholds that are over communities. He's talking about the strongholds that is in individuals. Oh, help us today. He's talking about strongholds the, 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 I read it out of the New King James, but if you read it out of the New American Standard Version, it says, for the pulling down of fortresses or castles. Where does the strongholds reside that is in this city? In the minds of men and women, including you and I. Any habitual way of thinking will become a mental stronghold in the mind. What happened is, listen, man, I ain't got time to preach this, but this is a big rabbit right here, okay? What? Listen, that is the power of your thoughts. If the enemy can control your mind, he can control your behavior. You're not going to change your life until you change your thoughts. Hello? We're never going to change our lives until we change our thoughts. Thoughts are like bricks. They're forming a house every day. They're either, they're either imprisoning you or building a wall between you and the enemy. Let me see. you ever been around Christians? Like, oh my God, the devil, how I many? That's the first, the devil. I grew up in church where they used to sing specials. And before we could sing the special, we had to give the devil credit for about 30 minutes. It would start out something like this. First of all, we knew it was going to be bad because they said, don't listen to the way I sing, listen to the words. Oh, God. (laughs) Help us right here. (laughs) Then it would be like this. The devil been on my back by two weeks. He's never supposed to be on your back, believer. If he got on your back, how did he get there? You picked him up and gave him a piggyback ride. Colossians said, Jesus Christ at the cross made an open shame, defeating him. Cut his legs off. How did he run you down? It's amazing to me the old horror films like Jason and stuff like that. Them people be running wide open in cars, driving and buses. Jason be steady walking to catch up to him. He's defeated. He's defeated. So the only transportation, you had to go pick him up and put him on your back. But the Bible says he's underneath your feet. Those that believe in me shall take up serpents and it shall not harm them and they shall trample over. thoughts. Listen to this. If you feel the enemy like that, I'm just going to ask you something right here. Let's say for instance somebody this morning the brakes went out. They're running late for church. Come in on two wheels and the car ran into the front of the church. I'm not going to feel a thing. Why? Why? Because there's a concrete wall that that vehicle will not penetrate. The helmet of salvation. Isaiah said, Your walls shall be called salvation. When I'm secure, In the love of Christ. Let me tell you how the enemy moves us out of our peace. Number one, by making us believe that God's not for us anymore. You're fighting all these battles because of what you're doing. Because, I mean, I'm just telling you, God has left you. Honey, let me tell you, he has left you. When that thought starts building up in your mind, you will step out of the peace of God. When sickness, and I don't understand why people get sick, but listen here, we bury godly people every day with sickness and disease. I don't understand it, but it is a reality. Bill Johnson, who's teaching signs, wonders, and miracles all over the globe, buried his own dad and his own secretary of how many years with cancer and seen thousands healed. Smith Wigglesworth the great healing evangelist who raised the dead kicked people punched them in the stomach would get through preaching and have to go in a closet and change his clothes because he had bled in his trousers so bad for severe kidney stones. I can't explain it. That shows us the sovereignty of God. But my walls have to be the, the, these, these pulling down of strongholds. What, what the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, if we want freedom, it is not to go attack the city with strongholds, it's to pull the strongholds down out of ourselves and, it, and, and take every thought into captivity that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now here's the deal. I'm going through rough time. And all of a sudden this thought How many knows this one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard was I used to get, Jensen Franklin used to do the top ten. Matter of fact, I dreamed I was riding with him last night. (laughs) But anyhow, he used to do a a series of messages called the top ten. And in 1999, I ordered a complete set. It was tapes back then of the top ten. And he had a message in there in the top ten called Beware of the Traveler. And he preached from the message where David was rebuked by Nathan the prophet of the traveler that went through town. You and I can't do nothing about the traveling thought. It travels through all of us. Are you with me? Can we stay here just for a second? We're fitting to go eat, okay? Because I'm hungry too. It's the traveling thought that comes through. I can't do nothing about the thought. But I can make the choice whether I'm going to take it into the stall and feed it and let it grow. So I'm going through trouble. Everything's breaking loose at my house. This is the thought that's going to enter into my mind. God's left you. I've only come one time in my life, really, that I, I, I've said it. I've said it a bunch. I hate to say that I have, that I'm done with the ministry. There ain't no way you could do this for any amount of money, for a million dollars a year. I don't care if it was under contract until I die until my last, my last grand young's grand young's grand-youngers died. There ain't no way you could do this for money. There ain't no way. You, there's no way physically you could have the strength to do it for money. has to be a calling and a passion that if you, like Jeremiah, I want to throw it in, but there's something burning inside my bones. But I came one, one time that I made a heart decision. And I made that heart decision based on this is because everybody that started out in my realm of circle, all of them seemingly had advanced and got to the place that I was trying to get. And I stayed at the bottom of the barrel. No matter, I'm just telling you, it's like God had me blanketed hid, would not do anything with me, wouldn't even let me pray. I went through five years of hardly not even preaching. And what I told Catherine, I remember sitting in my chair one night, and I was crying like a baby looking at her, and I said, God forgot me. How many members this on the movie Grumpy Old Men with the old dad or whatever? He kept telling his son, you know, he wasn't going to die because God forgot him. And memory come by the lake, and his dad had died on, on the, sitting by the lake. Right, there. and he said, "Well, Dad, God didn't forget you." But I told Kevin, I said, "God forgot me." And she looked at me, and she said, "John, she said, He didn't forget me. She did. He didn't forget you. You're just in a season." But let me tell you what happened. In my riding the roads by myself, I begin to feast on that lie that God had forgotten me. Look, He's exalted this one. I've humbled myself about as low as I know how to get and he won't he won't open any door for me. And so now I'm living in a fortress of that lie that God had forgot me. It was a Sunday just like today. I was at my church and a man came in that church to preach. It was not my pastor. And there was a prophetic word given and I knew it was me but I wouldn't move. You say, well, if you knew it was you, why you, I'm just telling you, I was living in a fortress. See, we, we, you ever wonder why you talk to people and you say, my God, what I say does not go through. Why? Because it don't penetrate the fortress. This is where you got to have the rhema word. The dagger that goes in. When they hear a rhema word, I'm trying Man, I ain't got time to put all this in. That's why the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 and the gifts of the Spirit. That's why it says when a prophetic word release that they're that, that when you prophesy to someone that, they're, that basically what it's saying, their destiny is revealed and it causes them to believe. The person that's sitting out there that's like me that thinks God has forgot them. when you hear one word about their life that lets them know that God knows exactly where they're at, that pulls them right back. So I'm sitting there, and, this, and then finally I go to the front, and as I walk to the front, I've already got some tears flowing because the Lord softened in my heart, but when I made it in front of him, he pointed his finger and said, God has not forgot you. This man ain't got a clue. You know I'm broke. Now God's talking to me now. He said that you are the head and not the tail. You're my first choice, not my second choice. And what happened is that rhema word of the Spirit penetrated me and it removed that lie and it broke that fortress that I was living behind and I left out of that service and and I, I told Catherine, I said, you know what, I don't care how long it takes, God has not forgotten me. God answered my prayer that day and I knew that I knew that he was for me. So the enemy can defeat you when you start feasting on the strongholds that he's not for you. This is what he said. I got to take that thought, bring it in captivity to the knowledge of God. How do I do that? Number one, I take the the word that Matt released this morning. If I'm going through hell and high water and gas drawers and lighter fluid in both pockets, you're in the fight then. One thing that I start feasting on is Romans 8. I know that nothing can separate me from the love of God, neither height nor death, nor peril, nor sword nothing can separate me from his love Father I thank you that you are for me I will endure this as a good soldier but I know this you are for me listen if we bury a believer and they die of cancer they did not lose the only thing that lost when they drew their last breath is the cancer that was feasting on the cells in their body they stepped foot out of this life into a life of glory are you with me now? hello? I'm almost done right here I know it's about time to land the plane. Got to be done right here. He said that we need to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now you got to think, Paul's penning every bit of this as he's looking at a Roman soldier and he's compelled by the Holy Ghost to write. He's in the heat of the battle himself. He's in an inner prison. He ain't seen daylight in months. It's nasty. It's rough. He's telling us to stand in this place. See, it makes it a whole lot more when you know the history of it and the reason why he's writing this. The Roman soldiers wore sandals, leather sandals, that had spike-like nails driven through the bottom. It would almost be like baseball cleats with the metal spikes in today's world. And what that did was keep his footing sure as he stood Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now what the world calls peace is absence of conflict. That is not what God calls peace. You can be in the midst of the biggest storm of your life and still have peace. When the storm was raging and the waves were coming in the boat, the boat was taken on water and the village pump had went out. The disciples woke, Jesus was asleep in that condition. The reason why he had the authority, the reason why he had the peace to release is because he had the peace in the situation. (laughs) I remember Catherine's grandmother, who's 90 years old, when we lost Catherine's cousin Jack at 18 years old. You bury, I mean, it was just, I'll just never forget that deal. It was just horrible. But I watched her. Stood beside her daughter. Not that she wasn't, I'm telling you, everything in that woman was saying, I mean, this is horrible. You know what I'm saying? That's her grandchild laying in that casket. But she stood there, I mean like a solid pillar. That's peace in a storm. What's going to attract the world? Listen, how many knows that the Bible says that judgment begins at the house of God first? And one of the things we quoted that is that God's going to uncover all our sin before He covers the world. That is not what that word means. Judgment means crisis comes to the house of God first. Why does crisis hit us first? Because we're on a solid foundation when it hits the world and they got something to run to. Peace. Peace to me... When Jesus said, when you go into a house, if it receives, you cast your peace upon it. So I got peace, okay? Listen to this. The Bible says in the book of Romans, and the God of peace shall crush Satan underneath your feet. Now listen to this. Peace to me is what is comfort. It's comfort to me, but it's wrecking havoc on the kingdom of hell. God, help me right here. I'm I'm trying to finish right here. So my stance in prayer, whatever I'm going through, the peace of God is my sure footing that keeps me standing. They're the spikes that is driven down in the soul. There is a peace that passes what? All. So my mind don't have to agree with the situation. Hello, that's the problem. We try to let our mind catch up. Your spirit will eat what your mind... It'll take your mind two years to, to catch up, but your spirit I eat it and say, yes, that is the word of God right now. Yeah. You can be in tremendous turmoil, lost a child, and peace come upon you, and your mind can't even comprehend what in the world's going on, but your spirit is saying, I'm anchored in peace. Wow. Peace is the preparation. Your feet shod, spiked down well in the peace of God. From the last one, get ready, put your seatbelt on. We're coming down hard. Hey, find that um, if you can put that, uh, Kathleen Carnally, let your anointing fall. Find that on YouTube. Kathleen Carnally, let your anointing fall. The Shield of Faith. I wasn't going to go through all these, but I'm just going to finish with this. I'm fitting a preacher series. Been how y'all rested so much in worship, y'all ought to be able to go for a while. Hey, Lord. Hey, you got to love me. You either love me or hate me. That's one or two. There ain't no in-betweens. Listen to this. Is shield of faith. The soldier carried a shield constructed with a wooden frame covered by a thick layer of leather. Often this leather was well soaked in water so it could protect even by fire. Now Paul said that we are to quench all the fiery darts. The Holy Spirit is associated with water In the Scripture. The shield of faith. Help me, Holy Ghost. 38 times in the New Testament alone, it is referred to as the faith, the walk that you and I have with God. You are called a believer for a reason. Because you what? Believe. The walk with God is by faith, not by sight. When the high priest entered into the presence of God once a year, when he made it behind the veil, it was, actually, it was actually supernatural that he even got behind the veil because no human had the strength to lift up the veil. It would take teams of chariots to split it in half, but yet the Spirit of God split it when Jesus died out on the cross. So what would happen is God would descend into the Holy of Holies and the breath of God would actually be like a man's lungs breathing and it would expand the veil and allow man to come underneath it. And when he went under the veil, he had a censer in his hand and he would wave the smoke because God will let no flesh glory in his sight. He would wave that censer and smoke would come out and it would cover him but yet he was blind, totally alone. Because the, the walk of faith, is the, it is not by sight, but by faith. And so the war comes, the war comes to get the challenge of faith. Bring it down just a little bit, don't, don't get too loud. The soldier, his feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The sword of the spirit. Breastplate of righteousness. We do not produce righteousness. We protect his righteousness he's given us. Gosh, that's good right there. My, my goal is not to produce the righteous, but I protect his righteousness that he's lented me. Helmet with the salvation, which according to 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is the hope of my salvation. My mind is protected. Whew, God, help me right here. The, I'm done right here. Give me ten minutes, five minutes. I'll do it in five minutes. I preach like an auctioneer. I'm trying to my best to impart my life into you, whatever little bit of time I got. Okay, what I hang out with God. I'm trying my best to give. This ain't something I downloaded off the internet. This is something I live every day. Okay, listen. This 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 helmet was made of leather, it had metal th- sewings into it or whatever. That was one type of helmet they wore. The other type was a solid a solid of uh, metal casting that they would put over their face one soldier in history Claudius Matthias was a a soldier of the empire of Rome or whatever and he was in such a battle but he casted his helmet not as his own face but as the face of his emperor so when he looked at his enemy he said I don't come to you in me I come to you in in the name of my emperor listen when, when the enemy sees your helmet he doesn't see your goodness he sees the king of glory and Jesus Christ that made an open shame of him on the cross. When he comes to attack me, my God, he don't see the face of John. He sees the blood of the Redeemer of Israel covering my life. And the shield soaked in water would quench the fiery darts. How do my life become watered down? I hang out into the presence of God until I'm totally drenched. When you're drenched with the oil of heaven and the water of heaven, you will have no problem quenching the fiery darts of the enemy. You let your shield dry out. One thing about dry leather, an arrowhead will penetrate it real easy. But if it's soaked every day, I'm telling you, it's hard for the fire and an arrowhead to penetrate it. You can't soak the shield on Sunday and Wednesday night. It's an everyday thing. So ultimately, the real world, the real war, is waged on the battlefield of faith. It's in my mind. The battle ain't hanging over this city. It's between your ears, friend. So the question is this. Whom will we believe? Whom and what will my faith be rested in? I remember this. I remember the night that I lost my dad. July the 31st in the wee hours of the morning. I'll never forget he had been in a coma for Probably three or four, probably what, two days, wasn't it? Since Friday. This is we are Sunday morning. I remember when he opened his eyes, you could tell that there was a little bit of fear on his face, or whatever. And all of a sudden, my mom stood in front of him, and she started singing, Oh, what a day it'll be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon His face, the one that saved me by His grace. When we started singing that, I'm telling you, all of heaven come in that room. And I thought for a minute that God was fixing to heal him right at the last moment or whatever. And he looked dead at my mom singing that song, and he drew his last breath. What was that? What, what was in there? was the presence of angels about to transport him into the into a greater glory. Are you with me now? And I remember all kind of thoughts started entering into my mind at that one moment. There was a battlefield that entered my mind. If God loved me, then why did he take my dad at 52 years of old? My grandkids, my, my children won't never be able to look at him. Grant was two and a half years old. But you know what? I had to thwart all of that off in that moment of what I, what, but what I knew to be true was God was a healer. What I knew to be true was God was still for me. What I knew to be true was now not only is I got some Somebody personally that's tied to me in the great cloud of witnesses. My dad standing over the banisters of heaven this morning that died in 2006 saying preach it son. Preach on. Preach on. God anoint him a little stronger. God anoint him a little better. He's saying come on John. And when I see him again it'll be as just as he left my side. One thing as Christians, what we got, we got, we cannot be afraid of death. Jesus took death, hell, in the grave, and he got the keys. Where is thy sting, O death? Where grave? Where is thy victory? The Bible says, "How precious is the death is, is the death of the saints in the sight of the Lord." My gosh, if I go down, don't resuscitate me. Leave me alone. This thing we're living for is real, church. Do you believe it? This is not some Sunday thing that I just wanted to come out here and do this morning. We got to I read about one missionary. They were skinning him alive. And when they were skinning him alive, he was looking dead at their faces and said, Father, I pray that you forgive them. And then he looked at them and he said, Please help me, rend me of this outer tabernacle that I will have nothing that stands between me and him. This is the soldier that God's raising up in the last days that can endure something. Church, let me tell you something. We're going to have to endure some things in the days ahead. The days ahead is not ice cream and potato chips and lounging on the couch. He said be sober, be vigilant for your enemy roams around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you want to be sluggish and laid up on the couch, he's going to sneak up and snatch you down. Thank you, buddy. He's raising up a soldier that is clothed, that knows how to pray in the position he is. So, my prayer is not really as much over this city as it is over me. God, pull down every stronghold that exalts itself above you in my life. God, break every mental, habitual way of thinking that I've allowed to exist and create a fortress in my life. Father, would you begin to break that? Would you begin to pull, pull it down? And I lay myself on the cross. God, I choose to fall down upon the rock. I choose to lay my humble myself and get on the cross and say, God, kill it. How do you, What has to happen is you must see that mental stronghold as a sin and a stronghold. It must be recognized and it must be repented of. Repentance is not you running down here crying and telling me how sorry you are. Repentance is you change the way you think. Are you with me? And so that's my prayer life. My shield I will wet every day in the presence of God. I will allow the water of His Spirit to wash me every day. David said, Thou anoint my head with fresh oil. I can preach for years about the encounter I had in 1998, but if I do not have an encounter in 2015, I have begun to die. When yesterday's victories are your greatest memories, you have already begun to die. I will not be moved by the things I don't understand. Maturity is not known by how much how much scripture you know. But it's how much you don't understand and yet you're in heart pursuit. The mystery. Because serving God, there will be a lot of mystery that you cannot explain. We fasted and prayed for my dad and and we buried it. Me being a preacher, he'll throw all, I threw every card I knew. God, look how many times I fasted. Look how long I preached the gospel. Look how much I have gave up. And then a lady that don't even give a rip about church or nothing, she comes the very next Sunday, and God heals her. I can't explain that. But there's one thing about it. I don't know where that lady's at today, but I know where that is at. And <laughs> I'm going to see him again. I'm done, but my sister sent me a thing one time and I just said it right here. But she said I sure wish that I, she said I sure wish that daddy could see your boys. I said he sees them every day. Father, I pray right now that you would come in a mighty way into this place. Father that you would come you would bring and you would arrest every stronghold every mental block that is in us let it be eradicated by the hammer of your spirit right now God I pray let the anointing fall upon us in a greater way this morning Father where shields have been dry in this place hadn't been soaked in water in some time I pray that the river of God would begin to be released over the shields of faith in this room I pray that we would have our feet shodden with the preparation of the gospel of peace God that I, we would would be firm in faith, God, not waver, not shaken, God, because we know that Paul said that when we are not shaken and, and we stand in our faith, it is a sign to the enemy that he is already defeated. So, Father, I pray a great gift of faith over your people. I pray blessing over every home in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray give us a great, great, great hunger great hunger for prayer in the presence of God. Father, let all that we do be pleasing to you, Father. In all of our ways, let us acknowledge you, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen.